In the year of our Lord, 1990, America, fresh off of our Cold War win with the fall of the Berlin Wall less than a year earlier, got back into the hot war game when Saddam Hussein's Iraqi forces invaded Kuwait over a very complex something-something oil, of which nine-year-old Liam had absolutely no understanding. And 30 years later, Liam hasn't bothered to learn in a show of solidarity with the ignorance of his younger self. But regardless of the causes, the U.S. decided that in the immortal words of the great Jeffrey Lebowski, this aggression would not stand, man. This was America's first foray into large-scale conflict since our ignominious exit from Vietnam, and also the first since Ronald Reagan big-dicked the Soviet Union into submission by pumping more money than the world ever knew existed into the U.S. military. We had spent the past decade arms racing full tilt towards the cliff of nuclear apocalypse with the USSR, only to have our opponent crumble under the detritus of an imploding economy before we could finish. It was the ruined orgasm at the end of a half-century of paranoia porn. At the beginning of the Gulf War, we were not unlike a bodybuilder that had adhered to a strict regimen of protein powder, pumping iron, and steroids in preparation for the Mr. Universe competition, and when it was cancelled, we took out our frustrations on the whack-a-mole game at Chuck E. Cheese. Nobody, not the US public, not the rest of the world, and least of all Saddam Hussein, had any idea what fresh hell we were capable of visiting on the first nemesis to stick their head out. Even as a child who knew nothing of politics or the world, I knew we were hungry for war, and I knew we were absolutely breaking it off in Iraq's ass. Baghdad was lit up a violent shade of night vision green on the evening news every single day. There were trading cards! There was a goddamn Gulf War Hershey bar that wouldn't melt in the desert heat! And that's why, against all odds, today's film might be the best representation of American militarism at the end of the 20th century to ever hit the big screen. It's jingoism with a wink and a smile, laughing at a joke it may or may not be in on. This movie is what America felt like in 1991, and it kind of embodied how we felt about our military back then. It was big and ridiculous and invincible, and so unquestionably in the right that the question was never even raised. Maybe it's because this movie has no plot, no politics, no ethos of any kind, sorry I couldn't pull off the triple alliterative, that it holds up as a comedy today. Any actual self-reflective commentary would probably taste pretty stale by current standards, so by just making a slapstick spoof that is a stupid good time, they accidentally said everything that need be said about the early 90s, while making something we could still have a stupid good time laughing at in 2021. War is hell. People make films about it, and we love to talk about them. After all, we're on a podcast. What could go wrong? So jump in the cockpit with a Marine veteran, a film critic, and a theater director as we discuss Charlie Sheen's best approximation of Tom Cruise in Jim Abraham's quintessentially 90s spoof of quintessentially 80s movies, Hot Shots. Call it in. It's danger close. Welcome to Danger Close, a war film podcast. Today, we're going to do Hot Shots! Exclamation point from 1991. <laughs> Our first foray into, I guess, satire and something lighter and funny. We did so much World War II 
and so much depressing shit where children died, etc., that we really, based on popular demand and our own sensibilities and whether we could continue doing this podcast after these uh, first eight episodes, we decided to go with something lighter. So I don't know what I'm going to talk about other than my hate for Charlie Sheen, which maybe I can compete with Liam in terms of how much I'm hating something today. So let's see. But in the meantime, Katie's here with... Whoa, 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 Dan, you forgot to introduce yourself. <laughs> my name is Dan, and I am here with my partners. Katie. And I am Liam. And Katie's going to take it away with our <laughs> mission briefing. Written and directed by Jim Abrams, one of the trio that wrote Airplane and Naked Gun. Hot Shots is mostly a parody of Top Gun, with a few other popular movies thrown in for good measure. It stars Charlie Sheen as the charismatic hero, returning to the Navy to fly in a secret mission. And despite what we know about him now, he does all right with the role. Well, there he falls in love with the Navy psychiatrist, loses a team member, and foils the nasty plan of military contractors. Well, the plot, if you can really call it that, is quite thin. The real point of watching is in the sight gags, endless jokes, and rampant silliness that pervades the entire film, even down to the brownie recipe in the credits. The budget for this was $26 million, and it ended up grossing about $70 million. It was generally given good marks by critics, but to its detriment, it premiered about a month after Naked Gun 2.5, which Abrams reunited with the Zucker Brothers to write. Every single review made direct comparisons between them, and I'm sure audiences were doing the same. It did seem to be a toss-up between which ones the critics felt was better, but the second Naked Gun film pulled in almost 17 million more than Hot Shots. Today, Hot Shots is considered the superior film, at least if you believe Rotten Tomatoes. But contemporary audiences weren't so sure. I was only recently introduced to the Abrams-Zucker movies, and that was with Top Secret, which oddly enough, has Val Kilmer as the star. <laughs> and as parody films go, they really seem to have perfected it. So do you guys like parody movies? And do you think this is a good one? Yeah, that's a that's a hard thing to figure out. I, I was really thrown off by this because I was like, yay, let's do something light that everyone will have fun with. And then I was watching it and I was like, oh, I'm usually researching history and military tactics in history and also like deeper meanings and what the filmmaker was trying to convey. And so I'm watching this like literally at a loss where I'm like, I guess I'm judging this by how funny the gags are and whether they work. And my only frame of reference is, yeah, like airplane, naked gun, and then Mel Brooks brand of satire, because I think he, I don't know, Liam, maybe or or Katie will have to tell me more about whether Jim Abrams was ever in competition with Mel Brooks or whether they had any kind of relationship, but um, it does feel like the B-movie version to a Mel Brooks film in some ways. I don't know. That's the general feeling that I get, while also I think some things are really well done here, and perhaps most surprisingly, a lot of the aviation stuff is like real it's a combination of things they did steal a lot from other films uh, literally but a lot of it they did shoot for this film and it's actually shot pretty well outside of the gags like just the actual flying around like the cinematography is good and it looks a lot like top gun and 
while they could have really satirized it and done everything with models, including every single flying scene, it's obvious that they took some real jets and flew them around and did some combat maneuvers, which, I don't know, it's kind of cool. It balances it out and makes it feel a little more real, even though the objective really here is to laugh the whole time. So, yeah, I'll save, you know, kind of my final feelings for the conclusion. Um but I was a little confused about how to even approach this. Again, I will talk about my general hatred for Charlie Sheen. But for now, I'll, <laughs> I'll pass it off to Lean and let him him give his introduction. So it's it's tough because I feel like there was, I feel like this is the end of the golden age of the parody film or the spoof. Mm. Because even by even by the sequel. Hot Shots Part Dieu. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I believe so. Don't ask me. I'm from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh isn't even on French maps. It's just like there's a hole there. Yeah, well, it's just yeah. they're mad because we pronounce Versailles, Versailles, and Dubois, Dubois, and just we 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 name our smaller towns after French places and then fuck up the pronunciations. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's like when you get into like the scary movie movies where it's just like, let's take this scene and see how we can make it funny or like draw a dick on it. it like, you know what I mean? Like it, there's no real effort that's put into those. Those are made to just be cranked out one after another. And they're purely reference based by and large, but with this one, and maybe I have a soft spot for this movie because I was right in the target demographic. I think when it came out, or I was like right on the cusp there of, uh, somebody who, See, this was 91. I didn't see it in theaters. I probably saw it in 92 when I was about 10 years old. And it was like these, the, all these stupid jokes. Like I'd never even seen Top Gun at the time that I, that I watched it. And I thought this was hilarious. Um, you know, and I've, and I've watched it many times, but I haven't watched it in a good number of years now. Uh, and I have seen Top Gun since then, uh, once. And, yeah, it so generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of spoof movies, but there are exceptions because some of them are done very very well and with a lot of care. And I think Dan some of what you're talking about is one of the reasons why I think this movie actually holds up pretty well from, you know, the ripe old age of 1991 because they actually did put some extra production value into making it look as much like top gun as they could, because if it was just like a bunch of models on strings, it wouldn't have been as funny because it wouldn't have looked quite like top gun looked to us back in the, back in the day. But also one thing that really caught my eye this time was the editing is actually pretty impressive mm -hmm. just from just from a 
timing sensibility because comedy is like 90% timing and the number of there's, there's literally a joke in, I'd say, I don't know, like 98% of the, I'm just making up numbers, but like 98% of the, the shots in this movie has a joke in it. Oh and yeah. There, the cuts are relentless. But what I really noticed this time is that it never lets it go on too long. Like each shot is its own joke and that joke starts and ends. It comes in as late as it can and it leaves as early as it needs to. Like it's short, it's concise. Like the guy who's roasting hot dogs on the, the jet fuel, <laughs> uh, like lasts maybe two seconds. If that, like you get the visual joke and before you can really even register it, they've moved on to the next one. So none of it really gets a chance to feel stale or over overdone. There's very few running jokes and a lot of them and the best ones aren't direct references to Top Gun. Yeah, definitely. There's not. It's weird how both much and how little Top Gun there is in this movie. Yeah, there's like a little bit of cocktail Fucking like there's some dances oh, with yeah. wolves in it, yep. mm-hmm. which yeah. came out the year before. So that makes yes. sense. Uh, well, a lot of the humor was super contemporary. Yes. Like Top Gun was already s- not old, but you know, it was Top Gun came out in what? 84, 83, maybe 80 something, like something, that. something. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it was six, seven years old, you know, something like that. By the time this, I want to say or- 86, but like, that's just number again. I'm making up numbers on this episode. Liam, this is one of the times. See? You're you're right, fifty percent of the time. See, I have a Liam is wrong uh, meme, uh, very kindly provided by your friend Dave. Thanks a lot, Dave. I'll be making full use of that one. I don't have a Liam is right meme, which is that's interesting because I'm because- right so often that me being right is the meme. It must be nice to always believe you know better, to always think you're the smartest person in the room. It just should be like, it should be just like a poster on in the background of my camera. So it's just like already states that you're right. I guess precisely. I could work on that. I guess that should be in your room. You should just put a Liam is right. I don't think his wife's going to go for that. (laughs) No, no, I don't think so. Because I would go for it as someone's wife. In our house, I think she's the right one is, is the established rule. I don't know if that's a thing in everybody's house, but like in my house, my we we've actually one of the few times that I've agreed to compromise uh, is that uh, you know when that she's right all the time. That was your compromise. <laughs> well, that was that was that was my compromise because uh, I've had a long-standing objection to compromise from the time I was little. I like a, a very. <laughs> I am fucking shocked. Yeah, this doesn't sound on brand for Liam. At a very early age, I had an epiphany. That compromise means nobody gets what they want. And I mean, that just true. sounded bad to me. So I have oftentimes rejected compromise in my life. Uh, I'm what you might call uncompromising. This explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how my brain worked when I was six. And it hasn't really stopped working like that. Like I've matured not at all from the time I was six years old. Uh, but you know, like you get into the, like, well, Dan, you don't know, but like you get in fights with your kids and they're like, how do you know? And you go, cause I'm always right. Like, you're going to say that at some point, like, don't argue with me. I'm always right. Right. That's going to come out of your mouth sometime as a parent. I don't, I don't think I've ever said that to myself. Really? You've never no. said that. It, I've said it ranks right I... up there with like, it ranks right up there with it's, 
Well, it's if you're if your kids push much past beyond because I said so. Mm. You have said because I said so, right? I have only had to go there, and 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 he gives me this look of like, "Mom, you know that that's not an acceptable answer." And then like, oh, God, my kids don't do stop that. there. My kids, mom, never you know stop. that wouldn't stand up in court. <laughs> right. Well, I, I was the same way when I was a kid. They'd say that to me, and I was like, "That's not a good enough reason. That is not like, logical. What? That's that. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Just because you say it. I figured Liam would have moved on to just yelling at his kids. I know 50% of everything. And then they would have been like not able to do math and just like, okay, I guess we'll just. No, because my kids can do math. That's my problem. So yeah, it's, there's, there's not a shot. So, uh, but when both of us are saying, because I'm always right, that doesn't quite work because there are times that she and I disagree. So we had to figure something out. And the official rule is mommy's always right, but daddy always wins the argument. Interesting. So mommy's always right. Daddy always wins. End of discussion. <laughs> I guess when your kid's wrong, he can just point to the bust that he carved of himself in the corner That's of the right. room and just be like, well, I guess I have <laughs> He's that. like, well, I've got this. <laughs> yeah. And you don't you have, have a bust of that? yourself. Like, like w- once you're gone, no one will remember you, but I have a bust. <laughs> so I am forever. <laughs> I am immortal. <laughs> I am eternal. Um, so I think there's a big difference here between uh, satire and parody. And I think like when you talk about Mel Brooks, Dan, to me, Mel Brooks does satire where it is uh, mm. thoughtful and purposeful and it is trying to say something and it is commenting on certain situations or whatever the focus is, whether you're talking, you know, Blazing Saddles, which obviously has a lot of racial commentary in it, or The Producers, which has a lot of commentary about Hollywood and theater and all of that stuff, and, Mm -hmm. you know, other more complicated things. How dare you condemn me without knowing all the facts? I'm having a rhetorical conversation. But these movies Oh, wait, Katie, uh, did you hear that Liam had something, or do you want to finish it? No, you can just go ahead and just plow right through it. I thought you, like, you paused, and I thought you were done, so I was going to respond. Liam Liam heard you breathe, so he figured that was a good time to just give his point. (laughs) Um, Well, no, I, 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 you bring up excellent points, and I would love to discuss them more. So, but these movies. Nice save, Liam. Fuck you, Dan. (laughs) It's definitely more of a parody, which is Oh my god! Which is all about um, parody is is aiming for something very different. It is all about using s- common tropes and themes and ideas, or something very specific like Top Gun, and twisting those premises just a little bit to get a laugh out of you. And parody is much lighter fare than satire because satire is often um, used as a way to poke holes in you know very sacred cows if you will very bloody process but that's my interesting thing for this is that the parody in this is pretty on point like it feels a lot like and i mean i know this is 91 but it definitely has a feel of a 90s movie mm-hmm. like this this one and naked gun really set a tone for the rest of comedy i think in that era so Real quick, before Liam responds to all your points, uh, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that in my mind, when you were describing this difference between parody and satire, the example that I could think of in my head that was recent for us, and I'll give a teaser to the audience, that we just recorded a very special episode that we'll be releasing further down the line 
uh, with a very special guest that I won't divulge right now on Starship Troopers. And Starship Troopers is very obviously, well, wasn't obvious at the time, and we talk all about that, but ostensibly Starship Troopers is a satire, but is very, very obviously not a parody of anything, whereas this film is a parody and not satire, so that makes sense. Right, so parody can be satire, but right. it doesn't have to be. It's Young the, Frankenstein comes to mind. That yes, one Young, ticks Young both Frankenstein boxes. is is not even well. Young Frankenstein, I don't think is a satire. I think that's much more of a parody. It definitely skews far more that way. But I think there are some comments in there that are more satirical. I think with with Blazing Saddles, absolutely yeah. parody is a satire. Because mm-hmm. it is a parody of Westerns and it is a satire of racism uh, yes. and is brilliant. Specifically uh, American racism. Yes, American racism and the, the roots thereof. So a parody is specifically like lampooning something that is that is already a part of the culture. Like Weird Al Yankovic does parodies. Weird Al Yankovic rarely strays in his parodies into the realm of satire. But there are some examples, you know, with, um, you know, thusly. I can't think of any right now. I will. (laughs) His polka music? Well, no, his polka music is still a, that's barely even a parody because that's just taking the thing and doing it again in a different genre that's so wildly different that it then becomes funny. It's like, do you ever, I don't know if this band ever like got big, but did anybody ever hear the band Hacy Dixie? It's no. a, it's a bluegrass cover band of ACDC. That's clever. And that shit's hilarious. It's also oh, actually pretty good, but yeah, like by and large, I agree with you, but they're not always in, in my mind, two separate things. This yes, is pure. This is pure parody. It could have easily gone into the realm of satire in a sense of like gung-ho, jingoistic, pro-America, woo, kind of post-Gulf War. Or with the money spending, because there are, are they lampooning the fact that, you know, the Air Force, at least in my understanding, I could be very wrong about this, is considered the branch of the military that they're just like, we'll just make it rain and give you all the monies for things. Uh, that That's kind of a true statement, but this movie's about naval aviation, not the Air Force. Okay, so so the, um, the budgets are different then. The planes say the Navy on them, Katie. Come I know on. that. I know. <laughs> yes, but- they do say the Navy, but it opens up with something outside of an Air, an air Force base. No, it opens up on an aircraft carrier. Well, yeah, no, that that flashback like 20 years ago Mm, mm -hmm. at such and such Air Force base, I think. Dudley or whatever. Uh, That's that's true. And I think that his. So was his dad in the Air Force or in the Navy? I think his dad may have been in the Air Force, but he was. That's what I'm saying was unclear. Like, I know he's a Navy pilot. That is obvious from the stenciling. Yeah, and the entirety of the film. I'm more, I I misspoke. I more meant that, like, if you're flying planes, it's not even just the Air Force. It's, it's well, planes are fancy and fun, and let's give it a lot of money. No, but to 
continue your thread of shitting on the Air Force for just a second, which, <laughs> okay, which, was, which was totally on point. And so I, I don't want to distract from a good point that you were making. In the military, <laughs> there is a hierarchy of um, presuppositions and stereotypes about each branch that are yes. generally known amongst the branches, but also each branch has its own kind of inside jokes. Like the Air Force is the second oldest branch of the military, right? Yeah, we. I mean, I'm, I don't want to get into that, but uh, <laughs> but yes. Because it goes like Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines is the order of operations there. That's how that went, right? I love your face so much. I can't the tell daggers. if this is a parody of like previous jokes. <laughs> this is so, like, this is this is a parody of, of <laughs> this is a parody of Katie's of like, lack of knowledge. Like, about we've the already made fun of Katie for this, but now Liam's being right? so serious that I like can't tell whether he's making a joke or not. I know I'm so deadpan. So let me let me see if I can very quickly come up with like the most popular and well known stereotypes about each branch, and. I'm generalizing here and just as a preamble and as a veteran, I am not intending to offend anybody from any particular service and I have respect Except for the Air Force. Except the Space Force. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I have respect for everyone in every service and um, in fact, I was recently reading about the uh, Iraq War from the early 2000s and Marine generals and Army generals um, in general, no pun intended, were referencing how much they respected the other service because there was a lot of joint operations going on and how well the Marines of the Army were working together. So I think when when the shit hits the fan, those service rivalries don't completely go away because there's still some competition, but everyone takes their service seriously. And it's like, if it's about you know bomber capabilities, people defer to the Air Force because that's their thing. But if it's about getting Marines from the sea onto an amphibious landing like the navy marine corps is the team that does that the best even though the army has done that in the past and did that in world war ii but generally speaking what katie brings up is true in that the air force tends to recruit by giving by offering the most money for college and like scholarship opportunities and that kind of thing you usually have to test higher in technical test scores and you know for a lot of jobs um, you have to show that you have some proficiency with, you know, Excel and computers and that kind of thing. And oh, count me out! I can't do Excel. <laughs> oh, I love Excel. And their accommodations and just budget for what they spend on their airmen is just better than any other service. I mean, a prime example is that what are called the barracks usually in every other service are the dorms in the air force and oh my and while like marines were piled 3 to a room in like a maybe 200 square foot space in marine corps barracks in the air force i've heard of people having like their own room basically even at lower ranks so the joke and stereotype that the Air Force gets the most money and is the most cush and that people get treated the best in that service, which is like hardly a thing you can shit talk about, but it's, you know, mostly true. That's the Air Force. Now, I've also I, I've also heard that uh, and you can you can confirm or deny this for me. But one of the, the things that I'd heard is that. That, that sort of differentiates the Air Force from the other branches is that in the Air Force, it's the officers that do the fighting. Like the officers are flying the jets. 
You know, that's interesting. I had never heard that, but certainly you have to be an officer to fly. So if you're and like an or- pretty much everything else in the Air Force is support for those jets to go up in the air to do the thing. For sure. I mean, the Air Force is structured to be an organization that supports their flying forces. Whereas the Marine Corps, for example, the Marine Corps aviation element, because the Marine Corps is an infantry centric organization, the air wing in the Marine Corps is all designed for infantry support, combat air patrols. And I mean, they still have air to air capabilities and to be able to dogfight and stuff like that. But generally speaking, their missions are to support troops on the ground. Um, the army kind of similar. Most of their aviation is uh, helicopters, though they do have a few Kingers, which in the Navy are called C-12s. But you know, they have a few fixed wing, mostly to like move officers Air around. Troopers? But, uh Yeah, well, they also have C-130s and they do have some okay. cargo capability. But but it's, it's a smaller um, department, essentially, in the Air Force having the biggest aviation element. But yeah, but going back to stereotypes, the Air Force gets the most money. They're the best treated. The Navy gets to kind of travel a lot and has a lot of cool locations you can be stationed at. Um, Sailors tend to be a little fatter and also very all about chow. Like I remember being deployed in Iraq and we got a couple of augment sailors. And again, I'm not talking shit. Navy SEALs are in the Navy and they can A, whoop my ass and B, are in better shape than most anybody. But but that's special forces. That's a very specific department. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. I can tell you that I remember a pretty stereotypical kind of tubby petty officer that we had augmented to our air traffic control unit off the boat with like a mustache. And that dude was first in line every time Chow showed up. Like often we picked up Chow and it got delivered in like Humvees. And then you like stood in line and like in the Marine Corps, the first thing you learn, if you're like a corporal or a sergeant, you make sure all your troops, all your Marines eat first. And then you eat at the end of the line. This dude was first in line and often was trying to get seconds like before any of my Marines had even eaten to the point where I was like two ranks below him. And I had to like grab him and be like, Hey, AC two, you mind if my Marines get their chow before you have seconds? Like, come on now. But yeah, like it was like clockwork that the sailors had the chow schedule, like imprinted in their brain and they knew exactly when that was coming. So there's a stereotype about the Navy that I've witnessed firsthand. <laughs> um, and then between the Army and the Marine Corps, it's kind of like the Army's a bit of a default service. So again, while they have tons of commendations and have been involved in many a historic battle very successfully, again, we're talking about stereotypes here. The Army is kind of like the dumber service that will take anyone. And when it comes to like entry requirements, they're like, you don't need a high school diploma. We'll just take a GED. It's fine. And so the Marine Corps talks shit about that. Um, And the (laughs) Army will try and claim that Marines are dumb. I think if anything, the Marines are sort of uh, a cannon fodder. Like we're the first ones in tip of the spear means like first ones into every battle. So like they're they're going to get the brunt of it. And secondarily, and I can confirm that this is definitely the way it is, we do not get a lot of money. So the Marine Corps is like getting the hand-me-down stuff, getting the stuff secondhand from the Army and the Air Force, and just be glad to be getting a replacement for some radar system that's taking a shit or whatever. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but the term uh, tactically acquiring is something that you really see in the Marine Corps where there are joint operations. And if some shit is not bolted down or stenciled, like with the (laughs) army, for example, Marines will steal it. And then like, I mean, I I've heard of cases where 
Marines stenciled a number on an unmarked building and claimed it as their own because they were like, oh, army fucked up and didn't number this hut. Like it's ours now, you know? So that's, <laughs> that's very typical. They're resourceful. Um, that's the word for Marines. Another stereotype that I, that I'd heard, I don't know if this counts as a stereotype, but like, I, I guess a perception would be, um, kind of what you're saying, Dan, is that like the Marines are the first ones to go in and like, clear them out and then the army comes in and builds the schools and hospitals that's very true and that's very true that's not even a stereotype that's yeah just really like that's the, the the impression that i've heard is that like you guys go in and clear everything and then the army comes in and like sets everything back up right and that's not to say of course that the army isn't involved doesn't fight in, yeah right right and they're, they're involved in combat operations but the army has the manpower and the structure and the budget to do the sustained stuff to be the, the resources to do the policing to build the schools that's often the army's job whereas the marine corps working with a much smaller force is again tip of the spear get in get out and get out of the way so that the army can do their job that's Again, we're generalizing here, but that's kind of right. true. The Coast Guard, I think, while again does stuff. Speaking of speaking of Top Gun, if you see the scene where um the rescue jumpers are jumping in to get Goose's body, that's a um that's pr- that's a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. And Dude, that spoiler alerts. Basically <laughs> Yeah, sorry, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for Top Gun. For a movie from 1986. Yeah, you have a, I think it's a 20 year rule, right? Once you're past 20 years, you kind of don't. Oh. I, I don't have that rule. Okay, fine. Spoiler <laughs> alert. I still get mad at people for spoiling the end of Citizen Kane for people. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, and I've never met, so, like, this is how weird it is that, like, I've never met somebody, myself included, that didn't have Citizen Kane spoiled for them. And it's still awesome, but, like, everybody knows the thing about Citizen Kane. Luckily, my. My air traffic control memory is like about seven minutes. So if if that's been spoiled for me, I have now forgotten. So whenever I <laughs> well, good, you should go watch Citizen Kane. And, yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll have a and, nice and let me know if you're like, oh shit, I know the thing. I forgot I knew that. Exactly. Yeah, I usually remember later. I'm like, oh yeah, someone told me about that. But anyways, yeah, in the Coast Guard, you do have some tough jobs like rescue swimmers. Those guys and girls have to be top notch swimmers and be able to do it with all the gear and be you know i'm sure they have paramedic training etc and you know there's another there's some other tough jobs in the coast guard but generally speaking the coast guard is like the most civilianized of the services where if you get a cush job you might just be riding a desk for a few years but you know they also have helicopter pilots and they fly fixed wing and stuff so again overgeneralizations the only thing i could say about the space force aside from it being a really dumb and unnecessary idea in my opinion is that the Air Force already had a space command and that was the military portion of, I don't know that much about it, but I'm assuming the branch of the Air Force that dealt with like military satellites because GPS was started as a as a military thing. So I'm sure at the beginning, Space Command was kind of taking care of that. So I'm pretty sure that someone call in and correct me if I'm wrong. They may be recruiting now, but I'm pretty sure when they created the Space Force, they just transferred all of, everyone just like, took off their space command patch and then changed their uniforms and put on space force patches. And that was that, but I'm pretty sure it's like a similar thing. They just turned one department of the air force into the space force. That's all I have to say Mm -hmm. about that. I mean, they made a, they made a Netflix show about it, which was 
kind of mediocre, but Steve Carell and John Malkovich are in it. Yeah, I heard it wasn't so good. Like, you know, it's to have on in the background. It wasn't bad. It's not like terrible. It's just not it's not like Veep quality or anything like that. But Steve Carell and John Malkovich, even in mediocre form, are still worth watching, in my opinion. So there's a recap on the stereotypes. Awesome. I love it. That was actually super informative. And like, I know sometimes you worry that you just go off on military tangents that are just going to have my eyes rolling back in my head. But like, I thought that was super thrilling. Thank you for that. And it answered my question of whether or not were they satirizing that idea? It's like, well, no, because that's not an idea that the Navy. And I was wondering this throughout the whole goddamn movie. I was like, what do they call the Navy pilots? Are they just Navy pilots? Is it the uh, Naval, Naval Air Force? aviators is the Naval technical aviators. term. Thank you. Because I was just like, what is, what? there's a word. I know there's a word for Nerds. it. What is it? I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Naval aviators. Oh, and, and lastly, to make sure that I shit on the Marine Corps at least a little bit, because I don't want to appear biased, crayon eaters to call Marines dumb is something that I've definitely heard. Possibly <laughs> it's most popular in the army to say that. So much so that I know that a Marine created a company that made Basically, I don't know who what the target market for this is, but it's basically Marines. like a box of Crayolas that are edible. I don't know if they're gummy or what they are, but it's like <laughs> he made candy for crayon eaters. So there that's you have hilarious. It. <laughs> Dan, I'm going to assume because you've told me to assume this going forward whenever I whenever I'm going to ask this question. Uh, but have you seen the movie? No time for sergeants. No, I have not. This was based on a play, and I know we're spending an awful lot of time not talking about hot shots, which as, as might usual. be might be part of the design at this point. Um, I mean, it's hot shots, man. If you've seen it, it's it. It is what it is. The uh, but no time for sergeants was uh, uh, Andy Griffith's breakout role, um, where he it was, it was almost like a Forrest Gump kind of thing, where like dumb guy joins the army and like ends up surprising people, but, uh, it was one of my, apparently one of my grandfather's favorite films. Uh, and he would just laugh for days about it. Uh, it was a service comedy about just like recruits going through basic training, but there's one scene in particular where they're out drinking and they run into a drunk, uh, guy from the infantry because they're in the air force. Uh, <gasps> and they run into a drunk guy from the, from the infantry and they have this debate about who who has it worse, the Air Force or the infantry, and like whose officers are tougher and meaner and things like that. Uh, and I thought that it just put me in mind of you, and I thought that that may, might be something you'd like to watch someday. Sounds good. I'll look into it. So I did want to talk a little bit, and here's your opportunity, Dan, about Charlie Sheen yes. in this movie. And I'm going to say my piece, and then I'm going to let Dan and Liam take it. Winning. Because I have lots of thoughts about Charlie Sheen as a person. Most of them not good. Um, like, But to separate the art from the artist, if you will, Charlie Sheen does a fine job, which fine, when I say it, is is not usually a compliment. It's more like, mm, you performed adequately. And he's really doing a Tom Cruise impression in this. But I will say that younger Charlie Sheen much more palatable to me than maybe three years after this, Charlie Sheen loses all of it, all of it, all of it, because he just becomes this nightmare of a person. So I think I was able to separate it and watch it and be like, I 
he's all right. For someone who's not a professional comedian, like, he's fine. But I think there could have been, I, I don't know, does his resemblance to Tom Cruise help his performance? Or would he be fine either way? I don't even know, like, I mean, he was doing the Tom Cruise thing, but I, I feel like, and again, when I saw this movie. You hadn't seen Top Gun. I think I'd seen Tom Cruise. And, no, because that would have been a couple of years after this. I was going to say, uh, the only thing I'd seen Tom Cruise in was Far and Away. But that was that was post uh, Hot Shots. I'm trying to remember what my first Tom Cruise movie was. Mission Impossible? No, because that was way after. Risky Business? No, no. That was not my first Tom Cruise. I feel like I was aware of who Tom Cruise was by just osmosis. Like he was just a thing that like absorbed into my brain or something. You complete me. You you know what I mean? Like I knew who he was, but I'd never seen a Tom Cruise movie. And I certainly didn't know that Charlie Sheen was doing a Tom Cruise impression. And I thought this shit was hilarious when I was 10. (laughs) But how'd you feel when you watched it this time? Um, Knowing who Tom Cruise is and all the complications with that. Yeah, it's, eh, yeah, no, I thought he was, I thought he was, uh, his reactions I thought were, were on point. There's, there's a lot of the comedy in this is way over the top, but I think one of the oh, reasons yeah. why this works is how many of them are just like these little undercut throwaway lines to balance that out for like every, every, um, you know, like exercise that's going on out the window that turns into a chorus line kicking past Lloyd Bridges head. That was great. That was Ugh. so good. Lloyd Bridges is fantastic in this. By like the way. if you're watching this movie and there's a shot and you don't see what's funny about the shot, like look behind whoever you're looking at. Cause something funny is probably happening behind them. But for every time you have something like that, or like guys with, bombs on their heads bumping into each other um you have things like oh loner huh no i own it oh those are the best lines in the whole so movie good. like those little <laughs> things are just and for those of you who read british uh fantasy stories they're so terry pratchett it just hurts my face as someone who can twist a line to just perfect it's so perfect like if it helps i didn't have seconds is hysterical <laughs> Because it's just like it that is that is completely thrown away until like Charlie Sheen has to point back to it in case people missed it and say right. he's the one who ate your father. Like right. that is still like a lot of those still hit and they hit really hard. I think the best gags in this are like kinda um and and The Simpsons is a far superior product, don't get me wrong, but the best gags in this are like some of the best gags in The Simpsons, where it's a sign gag or something in the background or this little throwaway line that just makes you like the juxtaposition of whatever it is, is just too great to ignore. And I think that's the thing with Hot Shots is those points are really high, but I don't know how much the rest of the movie succeeds. If I were joking, I would have said, what do you do with an elephant with three balls? Walk yes. them and pitch to the rhino. <laughs> completely thrown away 
And then I think, like, like it brought up that Naked Gun came out and that um, a, a lot of the criticism. Cause, so have, have you guys seen Naked Gun? So I've seen Naked Gun. I, to okay. this day, have not seen two and a half or 33 and a third. Me neither. Dan, you've seen it? Um, I've seen the first, and I can't remember how much of the sequels I've seen. I've seen bits and pieces here, but I've definitely seen the first one. So I think, like, because those movies he made with, uh, the Zucker brothers and time and time again in the reviews. And I've, I've seen naked gun and I think I've seen airplane at least once. Uh, definitely a lot of bits of it, if not the whole thing that this feels like a watered down version of that. And having seen the first naked gun, I was like, yeah, I can definitely see that. It has the same sense of like a, a, a joke, five jokes for every, every shot. Like we're just going to cram the jokes in there until it explodes but not nearly as many of them hit as when he works with the Zucker brothers. Um, there was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, Dracula dead and loving it. Mm-hmm. Mel Brooks, correct? Correct. That is, I feel like the only time that I got the impression that Mel Brooks was competing with the Zucker brothers. Almost like he mm-hmm. stole Leslie Nielsen from them. Yes, and that was his performances in Naked Gun were part of the reason he got that role. Because, like, that is, that's, trying to remember, that's the only time he appeared in a Mel Brooks movie, right? I think so. I think so. I could be wrong, and if so, email us. But I'm pretty sure that Leslie Nielsen was only in that Mel Brooks. He was in a million other comedies, but. I think that's the only time. Wasn't always together. aware that he was in a comedy at the time, but he was in a lot of comedies. <laughs> he was. Right. Well, that's the, the apocryphal tale, and I don't know if it's uh, the it, true or not, but uh, that he didn't realize what was funny about Airplane, like any of his lines, and that's why they were so deadpan, and they just <laughs> never corrected him. That <laughs> might be 100% false. So I don't want to cast any aspersions on Leslie Nielsen, who I think is great. Uh, and I got actually a lot of a lot more respect for after watching Creep Show recently for Fright Pub. Oh my uh, god! Because I'd never seen it, and I was like, Leslie oh. Nielsen's in this movie. And oh, Dan, he, have you seen Creep? Have you seen Creep Show? No. And okay. he was honestly oh, so great, pretty fantastic. It, oh, he's fucking terrifying and like it's, creepy, it's, and it might be his best performance ever. Is in like mm-hmm. this twenty minute section of a horror anthology movie with uh, Ted Danson, where with he's, Ted Danson he's as old Greg. People, yep, he's buried <laughs> people in the sand on the ocean, and the tide is coming. And like in. that movie is stupid and stupidly overpowered with acting talent, because like also Ed Harris is in it. Like a lot of people who would then he's go on it. to do big things, but. Another thing, another Fright Pub crossover is we just did Candyman 2. Oh, God. And William O'Leary is in both of these movies. He was like, I'd never seen Candyman 2, but I'm watching it. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait, is that dead meat from Hot Shots? (laughs) That's dead meat. And true to form, he dies. But should have seen that coming. Mm Mm-hmm. So... I've been waiting patiently to answer this question about Charlie Sheen. You have. Because I I Let's really think it. Charlie Sheen sucks so hard. I, I tried to answer one of your other questions in the meantime, so I apologize. 
why do you what are your thoughts on charlie sheen in general like what yeah can you also uh please recap for me the litany of charges against charlie sheen both like possibly legal and also just societally Oof. I don't know if I can technically do that, but I do have a- That's a lot. Like, why Like, why do you think he's a piece of shit? Because, like, I know he's a piece of shit, and I was passingly aware of his very public breakdown with the, like, weird videos that were released of him saying that he was winning something. Yeah, so, well- so I have a personal anecdote there as well. But generally speaking, I feel like I was sort of looking forward to seeing Charlie Sheen in this because I was like, oh, this is probably something Charlie Sheen can pull off because he has to be a mediocre parody Tom Cruise from Top Gun. Like, how hard can that possibly be? Like, how much <laughs> how, how much do you have to be uh, able to act well to pull that off? Dan, you throw the best shade. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the answer is... Better than Charlie Sheen, because I think he even <laughs> sucks in this role. For some reason, Platoon is the one film where I can watch Charlie Sheen. And maybe it's because because of his sort of he's the green guy and he has no experience. And so some of his uh, terrible acting translates to just sort of like being an inexperienced, you know, kid in the infantry. Or maybe because Oliver Stone's heavy-handed use of like you know the letters back home with charlie sheen doing a pretty shitty voiceover kind of works because the idea is shitty in the first place i don't think i can keep this up for a year grandma i think i've made a big mistake coming here and overall i really love platoon but when you think about like could charlie sheen have played um could he have played elias yeah like could he have played uh sergeant elias and like the answer is a resounding no fucking way and also that was willem dafoe so no comparison in terms of acting chops <laughs> right it kind of and i don't want to relitigate something that you can listen to on fright pubs paranormal activity episode but liam asked some very interesting questions in reference to a found footage film of are these actors actually really good at pretending to be normal people or are they such shitty actors that they're pulling off playing regular people because they're kind of just playing regular people? And so in parallel, the question I kept asking myself is like, is Charlie Sheen cast well in this role because he sucks as an actor, but it like doesn't matter because it's a parody. And I found the answer for me to be no, because when he's delivering his lines, all I can see is Charlie Sheen in his head going, don't forget the line, don't forget the line, don't forget the line. Okay, now deliver the line. And it's just like the most plastic garbage acting that I've ever seen. And that's just his acting. Charlie Sheen was actively trying to bang my sister for a while in real life. Holy shit. Uh, and luckily, my sister has the good sense to not do that. And I was like, good move. Good move on my sister for not wow. giving in. That's insane. Charlie Sheen tried to fuck your sister? Literally. Your your poor sister. My poor sister. I, all all of my love goes out to her. That's like that's like fist fight on the playground kind of like. So, basically <laughs> to make woman. a very long story short, when my sister was still like actively auditioning for stuff in film, she tried out for the role of the daughter in Charlie Sheen's new show after Two and a Half Men, which was Anger Management. And she made it all the way to 
number two, basically. It was a, it was her and the girl who got the part. And in the end, I think one of the big reasons is like she needed to, my sister's pretty tiny and young looking for her age. So she would have been a whatever, 27 year old at the time playing like a 17 year old, which happens all the time in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. But I think the other girl looked a few years younger. And so she ended up getting the role. So we're out one night in a group. We're like on a double date and my sister's there and we go out to, she had a friend who worked at this fancy steakhouse, like in the kitchen in, in Hollywood. And it was like, it was crazy. The guy who played, uh, Jaleel White, who played Urkel yeah, like, was Urkel. there. Yep. And, uh, I ran into like Luke Wilson in the bathroom. Like it was just like one of those places at the time that was super hot in Hollywood. And like, it honestly, it's the first time it's ever happened to me. I mean, I live, I don't live in Hollywood. And so to me, it's like, mind-blowing but i guess if you live there you run into people all the time but it was like i saw three or four famous actors in this one restaurant all in the same night anyways we're sitting down enjoying our meal and this older guy with a ponytail is sitting at a table a couple of tables across and we see charlie sheen come in and sit next to him and oh, no. uh this is like five years ago i have the rolling stones cover to prove the date which i'll have to look at Turns out this guy's a Rolling Stones reporter and was doing an interview with Charlie Sheen. My sister, having all of one drink of liquid courage in her, which is enough, she doesn't really drink, and she was dressed to the nines, I guess, I don't know. She was looking really good. She dressed up to go out, and she, like, with an attitude, she was like, I'm going to go talk to Charlie Sheen and tell him that, like, I almost made it into a show, but I didn't because the producer this and that. And I was like, okay, girl, you go get it. So. <laughs> So yes! she gra- she grabbed my date at the time and walked, pranced her ass over there. And, you know, I'm watching it from two tables away, so I can't hear what she's saying. But I just, so I'm watching mostly body language and stuff. And so I hear, her, you know, I see her put a smile on her face and talk to Charlie Sheen, who's looking like this kind of crooked vulture at this point. This is like his golem face, right? Yeah, he hasn't yeah. aged well. No. Drugs will do that to and, you. And you see the look on his face. He sees these two hot girls, young girls next to him. Yeah. And of course, right That's away, good. he's like intrigued. And, you know, they excuse themselves with the journalist, whatever. And he ends up having them sit down at the table with him and like they pull up a chair and whatever. So they have whatever conversation and that fizzles out and then they come back and we're all like, oh, wow, that was interesting. You just talked to Charlie Sheen. And they had a correspondence for a while. So like oh, no. he got her number. He was like inviting her to parties and stuff. And my sister was smart. She's like, well, let me see if I can like get into this guy's social circle. She's trying to get into acting. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. it makes sense to like go to a party networking. and hang out. But she's right. like, yeah, exactly. She was interested in it for the networking. And it kind of like they were always touch and go and it never worked out. But it was pretty obvious what was going on in Charlie Sheen's mind. It's not really hard to figure out. It's like come and, to this party and then she shows up and there is no party. And he's I like, mean, oh, it's in I don't know hands. if it was going to be that bad. But I mean, his intentions were pretty clear based on his messages, etc. And again, my sister fended him off and eventually he got tired of trying. And so it, it fizzled out. Does she still have his number? <laughs> Probably. Oh, we got to do something with that. I wonder how many times he has to <laughs> he has to change his number based on like you know actions. How many and, people he's given it out to? Exactly. Or how many people he's pissed off? Yeah, he's got so many burner phones. How careful do you think Ch- Charlie Sheen is with his personal information? Yeah, I don't know. Or how many burners does he have? You know, he just like exactly. gives out a number, and that that was my phone number last week. Anyways, not and I'm I mean I'm not hating on him for hating on some young pretty girl like whatever like do your thing Charlie Sheen but I'm just saying even in 
the one connection I had with him in real life. It's not like he's some upstanding person, you know, there's the whole tiger blood thing and just the guy's just a complete shit show. And the, the feeling I got from him and not that I'm one to read tabloids or anything, but it's like Charlie Sheen just strikes me as the kind of guy who always wanted to be either his dad or Tom Cruise. You know, he, he came from an acting family or his brother or his brother and just wanted to be that guy. But I feel like he introduced all the swagger and cockiness of someone who had made it way before he'd ever made it. And you can just see that. And I every time I see him on screen, I'm like, Charlie Sheen, who the fuck do you think you are? Because you are not what you think you are. And I, I can do see have it. to say, I've I've you know, I'm I'm not a like Charlie Sheen stan or anything, but Thinking about Charlie Sheen's downward spiral always makes me feel really bad for Martin Sheen. Yeah. Yes. And you know who I feel the worst for in all of that is Denise fucking Richards. Oh, because man. Because he was not one, nice to Denise Richards. I mean, trying to kill her, definitely not nice. a, th- a nice thing to do. How did like, he try to kill her? Uh, there were multiple. They, Domestic well, they abuse were for sure. Yeah, well, yeah they were but I mean, like together, and he held like a knife to her throat on oh, multiple shit. occasions. I wasn't sure if it was like a, a a choking or just like a pummeling or no, it was like no. knife to the throat. It was not that like pummeling or choking is better, but like it, death but is I death. Know, but you know what I, I know mean? What like, mean. was it assault? Was it assault with a deadly weapon? Like, there are levels to these things, is my question. Yes, yes. So Denise Richards is the one that I feel the worst for in all of that, because she's the one who bore, like, the main brunt of that. And she definitely did not deserve no, it. No, because as we have discussed. No one deserves it. No she one deserves is it. an angel. In real life, I it sounds like she's a very nice person. She's yes, a Doritos is- angel. Right. That is that is what has been reported. Oh, and okay. lastly, I'll finish my comments, which now have nothing to do with Charlie Sheen, but my favorite <laughs> joke of the film was the name of the ship, the SSSS, yes! which yes! was just great. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you for actual days about things that were funny in this movie because you were in the military. Like, I feel like watching, like, the planes coming in and they're like, uh, would you mind getting off the runway? Cause we're trying to land. Like, yes! I feel like shit like that is funny to me, but for somebody who has been in the military, specifically like Marines or Navy, that would just absolutely kill. Yeah. I think probably like the dude with the paddles, the LS, the landing safety officer <laughs> doing the like dance doing the ballet the paddles is probably one of the funnier parts. Cause I think if you've, you know, done carrier landings, which I have friends that have done that. And you, again, you get snippets of realism. Uh, the carrier was a model and they placed it like on the edge of a cliff somewhere so that when you looked over it, there would be ocean in the background, but they didn't actually put it in the ocean. Mm. And that's how they got a lot of those shots. But um, yeah, like call the ball, for example, is a real term that's used in carrier landings and it's called the meatball but basically uh and i haven't seen it myself so i'm just kind of talking from memory here but it's part of a visual lighting guidance system that is telling the pilot whether he's left or right or up or down because again when they're landing they've got three cables they're trying to catch with their hook and i think the goal is to go for the middle cable if you miss it there's another cable that hopefully catches you and arrests you so it's arresting gear essentially and calling the ball has to do with the pilot 
responding to whether they're on target essentially for what they're going for or what they're aiming for, I believe. But a naval aviator out there who's done carrier landings, if you're listening to this, please call in to correct us. I generally think that's the gist of it. Yeah. So one one last question that I would have off of that before we get into the uh, end of the breakdown uh, is what was your favorite joke from the movie? I'll go first. Let's hear it. I will be on my deathbed laughing about the dream lover scene. Charlie Sheen standing on a motorcycle and doing that dance to dream lover. It's it kills me every time. It killed me when I was nine or ten years old, and it still makes me laugh today. I thought it was fantastic. That's not the same song that he lip syncs to, is it? No, that's only you by okay. the platters. Also, he can't even fucking lip sync. That was terrible. No. Just to shit on Charlie she Sheen can. one more time. She can. She, she can lip sync very well. Uh, but side note, if I could sing as well as the guy from the platters, I'd never work again a day in my life. That guy has the best voice. Mm-hmm. I think for me, like, there wasn't one particular joke that really stood out. But for me, my favorite things are just these tiny little notes in the back. Like, um, a lot of times you, that first moment um, when they're doing the the jet is turning upside down and all the stuff falls down from the bottom. Or like there's one guy who has the Garfield sticker thing in his mm-hmm. window. And then the one who has like, how's my flying call? One eight, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like those for me are, cause I love sign gags and like just little bits in the background. They always make me laugh. And those were great. But I think here it is. I think my favorite one is the one where he, I can't remember the exact line, but he says, like, I've got a bogey in my sights. And then, and then it it's Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> oh, yes! that was pretty good. Was, and he just gives this, like, smile. I'm like, all right, I'm good. And that wasn't, like, superimposed. That was an actual lookalike, right? Because he was pretty good lookalike. It was, a th- yes, because they actually had, in the credits, they credit, like, some guy has a business of celebrity lookalikes. And so I think that's where they got the John Paul, Pope John Paul II, JP2. That was good. JP2 in the ring was one of my favorites. Yeah, that was good. Um, I really wish I were more current on my boxing vintage, like 1990. Oh, God, Mm -hmm. that was great, too. To to the both men work for Don King. I feel like there's a, there's, I feel like there's got to be layers to that joke that I don't understand. I know that some of the shots in the boxing scene were taken from Rocky two. I read that. So <laughs> that's pretty good. But uh, my favorite joke was when the down pilot uh, gets out of the aircraft and then gets hit by the ambulance and his like dummy body goes flying yes. and he goes, Wendy, I can fly. Wendy, I can fly. <laughs> I was Why? Dying. Thank you, Andre. I'll have the veal piccata. My friends and I said, why, thank you, Andre. I'll have the veal piccata to each other so many times growing up. Uh, <laughs> it was like it had just worked its way into our lexicon. So after all of our discussion, that was mostly not about hot shots. And I'm not a damn bit sorry because it's hot shots. Um, I think it's time for the breakdown where we ask ourselves three questions. What was the objective of this film? Was it on target? And did we like it? So, Dan. Let's hear your answers. Well, I, for the first time in a long time, I don't think there are a lot of layers in terms of the objective of this film. So I think it's uh, 
being successful. Did this did this pull it off at the box office? By the way, it made about seventy million. So it, it and the budget was twenty five. So it made about fifty million dollars. Yes. Okay. So successful financially. I, I like Liam said, timing is everything with comedy, and I think if you're gonna come out with parody, and it's gonna be kind of contemporary, then that little slot. Right, you know, pretty close after Top Gun, right after Dances with Wolves, and you're really pulling from those films to do it. It's got like this slim window where it's going to hit the hardest. But if this got delayed in production and came out four years later or something for whatever reason, like those, it would probably be less successful and some of those jokes would miss. So I think they did a good job probably in terms of getting it done quickly and pulling that off. So yeah, I think the goal was to obviously make money and uh be funny and have a good running series of gags that were strung together very loosely with a thin plot so you can't ask too much of this film it's kind of like did you laugh at least 10 times in the hour and 25 minutes or whatever it is then i feel like it's like that's pretty good and i think i laughed more than 10 times I would recast Charlie Sheen, honestly. Like, he doesn't, like, ruin the film for me, but I'm still, like, man. Because, like, Lloyd Bridges did a kick-ass job. Ah, he's the unsung hero of this movie, I gotta say. Dong, I'll get that. It's probably for me. That still kills me. (laughs) Where's my hat? But but I I would watch the Leslie Nielsen version of that character, and I would definitely watch the George C. Scott version of that character who was originally oh cast and then something fell through, whatever. I think oh Lloyd Bridges replaced him. Oh, God, that'd be Those amazing. Those three, to me, are interchangeable and would have each brought their own kind of comedic element to it, but Lloyd Bridges was amazing. But, like, what I'm saying is they could have been replaced by these other two genius actors that are great at comedy, etc., Whereas Charlie Sheen could have been replaced by anybody with a passing resemblance to Tom Cruise who was an actual actor and probably would have done a better job. Because again, I can't pull away from the poor performances even when it's just delivering a goddamn line and I feel like he can hardly pull that off. I feel so much like Liam in this episode. This is very cathartic. So Feels good, doesn't it? Let it just, (laughs) just let it hit you and just soak into your pores. It's going to exfoliate your soul. I can't wait till I get to feel like Liam. <laughs> I think they 80% hit their target, but uh, I still hate Charlie Sheen. And Charlie Sheen being on screen so much, I will... Pr- and this is my first time watching this too, so I don't have any nostalgic attachment. I will watch part two or part two because part I think it's used so much in memes and stuff that I think it, it probably it's probably even funnier than this one if I had to guess, but I'll probably never watch this one again. So for me, Liam says, no, folks, it's not funny. It was OK. I, I would rather watch Young Frankenstein for the hundredth time if I'm going to do this type of comedy or something similar. I think Mel Grip Brooks pulls it off better. So, yeah, it's just kind of like meh. It's it's got some funny jokes in it, and it's worth watching at least once for that. But there are a lot of other things I'd rather watch, even on a light kind of hitting night. That's my assessment. Liam, um, I'm gonna have to agree with Dan on a lot of that. Uh, I think that look at this, what a see? breakthrough. Harmony. We should call this the breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> this is there are a lot of unsung heroes in this movie. The editor being at the top of that list who I don't even know who put this thing together, but 
Uh, I'm sure Katie is furiously Googling that for me right now. God damn it. How'd you know? Because I, I know you have my back on that. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the objective on this was to make a relevant comedy for 1992 and or 1991. And they did that. Um, I think that it was well done. Jane Curson and Eric A. Sears are the folks who did the film editing. For Jane Curson. Jane Curson, one of the, uh, let's see, it's about 10% of all film editors are women. I think you mean all the good ones. It's true. It's it true. is true. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's good. I, I've loved this movie since I was little. It doesn't hold up completely. I feel a little bit awkward about the <laughs> the depiction of the Iraqi pilots. Couscous. Couscous. Were the Native and, Americans in this? Well, that was... See, that's where it almost gets into satire with me. Yeah. That, like, that almost gets into satire as to, like... it. Maybe it wasn't intended to at the time, but now it is... Like, it takes everything that's, like, a little cringy about how... How cool like we thought we were about our racism in the nineties, uh, especially regarding native Americans and like turns the volume up on it so high that it almost looks like they're making fun of that and not native Americans, which will be generous. Yeah. And it's the most, and it's one of the most direct references in terms of, uh, dances with wolves, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like top gun is like a general feel i mean there's things like the motorcycle etc but mm-hmm. those scenes in the tp are like pretty directly pulled out uh, the the food i think was a nod to nine and a half weeks mm-hmm. yes it is mm-hmm. um a wh- bad nod well i don't know I, what what seals that joke for me is as soon as he put the hash browns on <laughs> like yes. that it's like, a great joke i bad thought nod. they i thought they nailed it with the spatula like as, as soon as he starts scooching the bacon around with the spatula but then he puts the hash browns on and it kills me every it's single time it's one of the longest jokes in the film i think definitely it, is. it has it has the best callback to when the two of them at the end of the film mm-hmm. and he holds up the steaks and she's like <gasps> I was like, okay, right. that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. And guys. real quick, because I forgot to mention this, but uh, Ramanda Thompson, which is the name of the character, and like hearing Ramada. her accent, Ramada. I'm sorry, thank you. Um, I kept thinking, is she Spanish? Is she French? Is she Italian? Because her accent is kind of generic. European. It's a little all over the place. Yeah, and then there's a scene where uh, Carrie always walks into the piano bar, and she runs up to hug him. And she says something in French. And I was like, oh, she's French? I look her up. Her name's Valeria Golino. And I'm like, why did you use an Italian actress and then make the character French? What the I'm hell? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Valeria Golino. And here's the thing. She's an Italian Germanist. I don't know what that means, unfortunately. And a Greek painter and grew up in Naples. Right. So she is very, very Italian. She's Neapolitan, which is Liam's favorite. But uh That's where they have that good ice cream. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I thought it was it was and just just racist and uncalled for to make her character French. I just <laughs> well, thought that was so disrespectful thing- to the entire Italian all the Italian people. Uh, and then he says uh, Carrie always says something to her about Last, um, I thought you were still in Brussels. That's right. So, who the hell knows where she's supposed to be from? But right. yeah. speaking of Carrie, always 
is fan-fucking-tastic in this movie. He's great in everything. He is He's great in everything. He's an unsung comedic hero, He honestly. is so good in this. It He's is amazing. hilarious. Right. I had such a crush on him when I was little. Uh, don't worry. As long as I have me, I'll be fine. <laughs> I That is a personal mantra of mine that has resonated with me throughout my life more than I think I should be willing to admit, but I'm admitting it. That is a great line. And it is like one of those times that they accidentally tripped over something that was like actually kind of like profound and Deep. inspirational. It was like, right. don't worry, as long as I have me, I'll be fine. And it's like hilarious. But also I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will. It's true. <laughs> That's true. So I definitely agree with everything you guys are saying. It's a very light film. It's very fluffy. Uh, you know, when it comes to objectives, like, the goal of this movie is to make you laugh. It's not some deep story. I don't think they're going for a lot of satire. They uh, and and, he, and Abrams really succeeds with the with the jokes by cramming them in there like I said earlier. Um and I think this movie might not have worked as quite as well when it came out because like I said it was being very obviously compared to the second Naked Gun movie. But I think now it's generally pretty well thought of. And from my understanding, the second one is even more well thought of for some reason. I, like, I, like, like Dan said, I see a lot more memes from that. But I'm guessing that's more from the Rambo than anything else. Um, did I like it? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I'll watch it again. Like, if I want to watch this kind of comedy, honestly, I'm going to go to something like Top Secret, which has Val Kilmer and is much more a mix of parody and satire than this. And again, I don't like Charlie Sheen because he's a garbage person. Garbage humans. Garbage For human, sure. Exactly. So. Yeah, garbage people are essential to society. Garbage humans are not. Thank you. That's true. Um, I think. Like I said, this was fine, and that's not a compliment. It's not an insult. It's just a statement of fact. It's fine. It'll make you laugh. Yeah, there's some good laughs. I laughed several times in this, but it was it was very surface level laughter of like, and, and it was almost always at the visual gags. The visual gags are great. <laughs> those those always got me. And the the guys jogging to the Brady Bunch theme. <laughs> like dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made you out yes. of clay. Yeah. Oh, here's great. the story of a lovely lady. That was good. So oh, God. to turn this ship into like the most opposite direction it could possibly be turned, what? Are we doing next? Schindler's List. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> not yet. You'll get it, folks. We're staying out of World week. War II for now. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're doing it. Mm -hmm. You asked for light and fluffy. We're giving you some light and fluffy. You asked for no more World War II. You're getting no more World War II for a bit. And most, and the winner of our second audience poll film, so you guys picked it, was Kingdom of Heaven. From Yay! 2005 from what for a large portion of my life was my favorite director Ridley Scott unfortunately he's put out a few dumpster fires as of the last 10 50 as in years he's he's lit the dumpster fires everybody. or he has extinguished yeah I'm sorry fires. he has he has delivered quite a few dumpster <laughs> fires he def definitely yeah. did not put them out other people worked hard to put them out and I I've, he's a very talented Thanks, man Denis Villeneuve. 
Yeah. And now I find that he is a lot better as a producer. I think his directing years should be behind him, but the man keeps trying. He's like 82 years old. I don't know. He's a genius, but I have not. He loves what he does. Right. And this, this came out kind of on that line where I feel like he could have jumped the shark and there's things about it that I like and that I don't like, but it's like arguably one of his last great films, certainly in terms of scope and budget, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, Liam and I are going to have some interesting disagreements about this one. Oh, man, and... it's not going to be anywhere near as cordial. But... And, and as the usual go-between for the men's in this, I'm going to watch, well, hopefully anyway, we'll see how my life goes. I'm going to watch the director's version and the theatrical cut so I can give y'all an, well, slightly less biased than Dan and Liam perspective on it. I'm I'm really excited, though. Because I just got the Blu-ray that has three different editions on it. The theatrical cut, the director's cut, and something that I didn't know existed called the Roadshow director's cut. Interesting. And I have no idea what the difference is with that third one, but I'm going to watch them all. It's going to be indulgent. And your friend Dave called the director's cut the God cut. And the I was God like, cut. And I looked at my... Uh, my blu-ray and it didn't say that it just says director's cut i'm like no that's just what dave calls it i'm like is dave doing a because i was like did he mistake this for gladiator is dave like doing research on the wrong film right now but whatever i'll let him sort it out no anyways man. he knows exactly the film he's just calling it the god cut okay i guess that's his jam I am dave. all your friends like to use made up words and that's cool I, or, or at least uh in they use them in made all, words, speaking, all words all are words made up. are made up <laughs> thank you thor uh ling also the perspective of most um uh prescriptivist linguists for i'd never heard somebody say it until thor i'd never heard somebody say that and that was one of those like this, throw this away is my stupid... moment where i realize i read too many linguists you do read things. too many linguists but like <laughs> one of those moments where you realize that oh that stupid line is actually really profound all words are made up boom all right you guys thanks for listening we'll see you on the next one and we are going to release our patreon soon probably in july we're working really hard to make it happen but i don't want to make uh i don't want to over promise and under deliver so you don't want to have your ego write checks that your body can't cash exactly read my lips no new taxes yes the answer to when will then be now is soon soon thanks guys send us your favorite brownie recipes 